Would you take the uh, communion that you were given? Go ahead and get that ready. We're going to take communion together. Man. It's good stuff, huh? spirit on the inside and you know what better way to do that than to take communion together you know there's some religions believe and I know there's been a lot of controversy over centuries that said you know some some people believe that when you take communion it is actually once it gets inside of you it actually turns into Jesus body and blood and I'm not against that I think that's a good thought to have. Inside of us, there's a place on the inside of us that needs to be filled in with what we've gotten rid of of ourselves. And I believe that communion can do that because it is a symbolism of the Jesus body and his blood. You know, when when um, Jesus at the Last Supper, he didn't take he didn't, he didn't partake of the, the meal on that last supper. But he served his people. He served his disciples the bread and the wine. And when he gave them the bread, he broke it and he blessed it. And he said, this is my body that was broken for you. However, his body wouldn't be broken until hours later. So it was by faith when they... When he said that, it was by faith that they ingested the bread and filled in the spaces where they needed filled in on the inside of them, of Jesus, of the Spirit. So when we sing songs like that, Spirit, come fill us. It is Jesus' Spirit filling our bodies. And then when we take communion together corporately, it is all of us being in one direction with him. Amen. So if you got the little wafer there, this, Jesus is saying, this is my body, which was broken for you. What is it broken for? It's broken for our heartbreak. It's broken for our letdowns. It's broken for our diseases. It's broken for unhealthy relationships. It's broken for everything that you feel like you're broken. And this is where Jesus fills in. So he said, take this as my, take and eat this as my body, which is broken for you. Let's, let's pray over this real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you for what he came to this earth to do, to give us his life. He is the bread of life. And today we take this as a symbolism of his body, but I believe God that it will fill in the spots on the inside of us that is not filled with Jesus yet, that we're not experiencing Jesus yet. So, Father, thank you for Jesus' body. Jesus, thank you for your body, which was broken for us. And we receive it as healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and eat. Jesus went on that night, and he gave them the cup of wine. 
during the Passover meal is called the, the cup of redemption, the cup of buyback, the cup of being purchased again by his blood. So when we take that wine, what we're doing is we're sealing that Jesus is Lord in our life. Jesus is king in our life. When we take that, it seals the deal that we have him. So he took the cup that night and he gave it to his disciples and he said, this is my blood that is ratified for you, which means it's sealed, it's paid for, it's, it's, it's perfect. So if you would, go ahead and take that in your hand and we'll pray over it. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your blood. The most important thing, because the word says, God, that your blood is life. So God, we receive the life of Jesus through this blood. Jesus, we thank you for spilling your blood for us. We thank you, we glorify you and praise you for what it means on the inside of us. Fill in those spots that we need your blood and seal it in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and drink. Amen. You receive that today? Awesome. Well, Jesus spilled his blood and I about spilled his blood up here just a minute ago. Anyways, um, we're going to get right into this this morning. So if you would turn around and tell somebody hello, and um, we'll get right into this. Thank you. Amen, amen. Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Man. What a what a beautiful weekend, huh? I'm ready to play golf. I'm ready to play golf. Um, Want to welcome you guys to Northern Colorado Cowboy Church. If if I've never met you before, my name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church, and uh, it is an honor to have you this morning. Uh, if you haven't ever been here, if you've not been here in a while, or if you come every week, we're just so thankful that you came to our in-person service. I believe that, um, you know, as they, I heard on the news last night, they encouraged people not to go to church today because of all the stuff going on in our world. But you know what? This should be the healthiest room anywhere. Especially when we take communion. Amen? So with that, I um, want to welcome our Facebook Live. I know that uh, Bailey already welcomed you, but thank you so much for for joining us from your homes this morning, and um, I pray that um, you would take communion at some point today. If you didn't take it with us, uh, take it at some point today. Um, man, we're, we're honored that you're joining us online today. So let's get right into this today. I've got a long way to go and a short time to get there. I'm east bound and down. Uh, uh, that's my ringtone on my phone anyway, so I get to hear that all the time. But... Um, you know, today is a special day because this is a time that some people that never go to church go to church, and what we're doing on this day is commemorating. You know, a lot of people say, well, we're celebrating. I think that when you talk about the death of Jesus, it's more of a commemorating, even though his death led to the resurrection, and there is a celebration in that, amen? amen. But, you know, any time that we look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus, we don't just do it one time a year. We should be doing it every day. 
Amen? And any time that we recognize that, any time that we purpose to see Jesus' death and his resurrection, any time we purpose to see those things, it, we got to understand that it, that is essential to our faith. Am I the only one that got that? It's, it's essential to our faith. It's foundational. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you can't be saved. You can't walk with Jesus because... Jesus was resurrected. Amen? Amen. And so that's the, it's the essential promises. It's the essential promises of Christianity. So if you have your Bibles with you today, would you go over to Luke chapter 24? Luke chapter 24. I'm going to read this from the Passion Translation today. But in Luke chapter 24, um, Jesus has died on the cross, and, and he's hanging there. There was a man named Joseph of Arimathea, a little community, a little village community. He was a rich man. He went to Pilate, the governor of that region, and he said, can I have possession of Jesus' body today? Can I get permission to have possession because I have a, I have a tomb that I've already, a, a grave that I've already set aside for myself, but I want to give it to him so that we can get him buried properly before the Sabbath. They were in a hurry because the Sabbath was that evening. And he wanted to get him buried or put in the tomb before the Sabbath hit. Otherwise, they were going to have to wait a few days. And so Joseph took him and buried him in a hurry before the Sabbath. And during the course of the days from the time that 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 stone was sealing the tomb that Jesus was in, Jesus, the, the women, the disciples that were women, found it their job to over the next few days to go and make essential oils, so to speak. Because, because they wanted to embalm his body as soon as Sabbath was done, they could go and embalm his body so that he wouldn't stink it. And so they, they prepared these in, uh, essential oils and, and um, left on that Sunday morning, left their, their houses, and they went to the tomb. And that's where we're going to pick up the story here in verse 1 of Luke 24. If you didn't bring your Bible today, we'll put it up on the screen for you so it'll be all right. You can check it out. Very early, verse 1, very early that Sunday, mor- that Sunday morning, the women made their way to the tomb carrying the spices they, were, they had prepared. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, and Mary, Jesus' mother. Arriving at the tomb, they discovered that the huge stone covering the entrance had been rolled aside. So they went to look, but the tomb was empty. The body of Jesus was gone. They stood there, stunned and perplexed. Suddenly, two men in dazzling white robes, shining like, the, the, shining like lightning, appeared above them. Terrified, the women fell to the ground on their faces. The men in white said to them, Why would you look for the living one in a tomb? He's not here, for he has risen. Have you forgotten what what he said to you while he was still in Galilee? He's quoting Jesus here. He says, the son of man is destined to be handed over to sinful men, to be nailed to a cross, and on the third day he will rise again. All at once they remembered his words. 
Leaving the tomb, they went to break the news to the eleven and to all the others of what they had heard. Let's stop right there. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that any time your word is spoken, any time your word is spoken, it brings blessing to our life. It opens up revelation on the inside of us. So, Father, I pray that as we have read your word and we continue to read it through this service today, that every time we have a revelation of what your word is and it brings comfort and peace to us. So we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. For three and a half years, and as you read the Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as you read the Gospels, you see that Jesus in three and a half years spoke or it was recorded that he spoke of his death, burial, and resurrection six times, at least six times in three and a half years that he talked to them about that. And the disciples didn't get it. Even Jesus' mother is standing there at the tomb wondering what happened, stunned and perplexed that Jesus' body was gone. And it wasn't until the angels said what they said, quoting Jesus in one of the six times that he said that he was going to die and rise again, even Jesus' mother didn't really believe it or understand it. One time when he said it, Peter, his main guy, his right-hand man, rebuked him for saying he was going to die. Now, I don't know if you've gone to rebuking Jesus yet, but if you do, (laughs) you're going to get a butt-chewing. Because Peter got a butt chewing. But in this, in this three and a half years, in the dis- disclosure of his death, Jesus made promises. All through that three and a half years, every time he spoke, he made promises. Promises. And so when he died, they didn't, they didn't want to believe, even in Jesus' life, they did not want to believe that he would ever die. I mean, I've got, I've got dogs and I don't want them to die. I know they're gonna. I wish they would stay with us our whole life. They die when we die. I don't want to believe that my dog's going to die, but I know he's going to die. But these people are looking at Jesus, hoping that he is just saying a metaphor like his parables. It's just a mer- metaphor that he's saying he's going to die. Because they believe with all their heart that he is the Messiah. And the Messiah shouldn't have to die. Messiah is supposed to come and conquer. Messiah is supposed to conquer Rome and and be um, victorious and lead Israel to this great victory, right? So they didn't want to believe that he, he died. But he did die. He did die. Some saw it. Some heard him cry out, it is finished. Some heard about it because they scattered. It said his disciples scattered that night when they arrested him. They scattered. I think John and Jesus' mom was the only one standing at the foot of the cross as he died. Because they believed that he was Messiah. And when he died and they heard that he died, I'm sure they had the doubts running through them of, is he really Messiah? It was, it was Jesus really the Messiah or were all his promises 
empty promises. Were all his promises empty promises? Yeah, I believe they were. I believe that they were empty promises, not empty promises. Say, what? (laughs) They were empty promises. That's what I want to talk to you about today. I want to talk to you about the empty promises of Jesus. That's the title of my sermon today. The empty promises of Jesus. I want to share with you four empty promises that I found in his word. There's probably more there, but these four are for today. Four empty promises that had to be for us to have relationship with him. For us to have relationship with God, we have to understand that Jesus gave us some empty promises. Jesus Christ, the great Son of God, lived a life of empty. Man, y'all are looking at me like a calf at a new gate. You don't know whether to go through this or not. So the first empty promise that I want to share with you today is the, the empty promise of him being God. The empty promise of Jesus being God. If you hold your place there in Luke chapter 24, go over to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Like I said, it'll be up on the screen if you can't find it or whatever, but um, the disciples knew Jesus as Messiah, right? And he, they knew that Jesus was Messiah, not because he told them. He never once said to his disciples, I am the Messiah. When they discovered that he was the Messiah, they were seeing miracle signs and wonders happen in his life, and they just believed. You know, when, when Jesus said one time, he says, who do people say that I am? And they said, well, you're one of the prophets, you're John the Baptist, you're Elijah, come back to life, all that kind of stuff. But Peter said, I believe that you are Jesus, you are Christ, the Son of God. I believe that you are the Messiah. And Jesus, anytime anybody got it, anytime anybody got that he was Messiah, he would tell them, don't tell anybody yet. Shut your mouth about what you know. And how, how many of you know that we, it's hard to do that when we get excited about something? Well, they were equally as excited. But they knew him as Messiah. So with that in mind, here in Philippians, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's been, um, he's been leading churches and starting churches all over the place, and he's getting ready to die here pretty soon. But he's writing this letter from prison to the church at Philippi concerning the social climate that they're in. Their social climate was very similar to ours or where our climate in this world is going. And what the Apostle Paul was telling them in this letter was that the future, that the the further society wants to pull you away from godly relationship, your understanding of Jesus as Messiah, it should be pushing you toward the kingdom of heaven. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying. But he begins to explain some things about Jesus here. In in Philippians chapter 2, I want to go to verse 5. And the Apostle Paul writes and he says, And consider the example that Jesus, the anointed one, has set before us 
let his mindset, his way of thinking, his mindset become your motivation. He existed, Jesus existed in the form of God, yet he had no thought to seizing equality with God as his supreme prize. Instead, he emptied himself of his outward glory by reducing himself to the form of a lowly servant. He became human. I like it. There's an exclamation point on the end of that. He became human. He humbled himself and became vulnerable, choosing to be revealed as a man and was obedient. He was a perfect example, even in his death, a criminal's death by crucifixion. He emptied himself. See, Jesus came to this earth and he was 100% God and 100% man. But he chose to set the 100% God aside and empty himself of that and to be a human, 100% like you and me, having thoughts, having faults, having Jesus had no faults, but he had the potential to, to be, if he's a man, he has a potential to sin, but he never did. So he's 100% man. And the plan was with God and Jesus in heaven before he came to this earth, the plan was to bring heaven to earth. That's been God's deal forever. He wants to bring heaven to earth. He wants to bypass what the devil's doing in this place and bring heaven to earth. Amen? And he did that first and foremost through his son Jesus when Jesus came to this earth. He poured himself out. Not, he, he came to this earth not as God, but as an example of humanity or a human pursuing God. Jesus didn't come here going, I've got God already, and therefore I've got my life easy. No, he put himself, he emptied himself of that and said, I'm going to be a man pursuing God to show others that they can be men and women, they can be human, they can be in their humanity and still pursue God and bring heaven to earth. So how was, how was his example? How did he exemplify being a human relying on God? It says that he did this by becoming a lowly servant. A lowly servant. Serving God first and serving others second. See, Jesus' heart to serve released a superhighway of heaven into the earth. That's where the miracle signs and wonders came from. It didn't come from him being God. It came from him being a servant to people and allowing God to use him as a conduit, a super highway of heaven into this earth, his power. And the way that that power hit him as a servant was by humility and vulnerability. I don't know about you, but as a you know, as, especially as a man, it is hard to be humble. Oh, Lord, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect in every way. I'm sure Jesus thought that. Man, it's hard to be humble when you're perfect. But he was. It was humility and vulnerability that brought 
that power to earth. And he was our example. Are you hearing me? He was our example of how humility and vulnerability is important to the release of God's power, heaven's power on this earth. Something hit me in, in the midst of a, a interview that I was doing, a podcast that I was doing with some friends. And the guy asked the question, one of the guys asked the question, you know, how, how do you uh, work or walk this Christian life? And the thing that hit me, the, the phrase that hit me is that when you serve people, you step into God's territory. Whether you're a believer or not a believer, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, when you serve people out of the love that's on the inside of you, you step into God's territory because that's what God does. Amen. Amen. He gave us his son before we even knew that we needed him. While we were yet sinners, he sent his son to save us. He served us. And so when we serve, when humility and vulnerability become a part of our life and we begin to serve people in the, in the most small ways, it is still stepping into God's territory and God will get you. He'll captivate you when you realize what you're doing in his territory. The Apostle Paul also wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul got this concept and he said, I'd be most happy to empty my pockets, even mortgage my life for your good. That's what humility and vulnerability are. That I'm going to spend, I'm going to empty myself into your life by serving you through humility and vulnerability. I'll even mortgage my life for you. That wasn't Jesus talking. That was a human talking. A human who discovered that when you do that, the power of God comes in your humanity. So the promise that Jesus was making there was that serving God doesn't make you God, or or serving people, serving in general, doesn't make you God, but makes you a conduit for God. So the empty promise that Jesus gave us is that he wasn't being God. He was being an example of being a human and that you as a human can empty yourself into others. God will always fill you back up. Which brings us to the second empty promise and brings us more into the story of today. He gave us the empty promise of the cross. The empty promise of the cross. On the day of Jesus' death, when he was, after he had been arrested and he had been beaten, he had been uh, bruised and his beard being pulled out. I mean, they did all kinds of awful things to Jesus. But one of the last awful things they did to him before they put him on that cross was in his exhaustion of being up all night and the suffering that he was doing in his body, they made him drag an empty cross through the streets of Jerusalem. Before the nails went in, before the Calvary's hill, he was having to drag that cross up until a man named Simon comes along and helps him. But he was dragging that cross in his exhaustion. The weight of being a human 
was on him. Near death, he's dragging this probably anywhere from three to 500 to 600 pound cross. He's dragging it inch by inch through the streets of Jerusalem to a hill called Calvary. But the, but the cross was empty. See, a lot of times what we don't understand is that while he's doing that, the weight that is on him while he's doing that is the weight that every one of us suffer in our lives. See, some people think that being a Christian means you don't have to suffer. That, you know, you, you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and now nothing bad will ever happen to you. That's some of the promises that my peers give to people in church, you know, to try to sell them on this Jesus thing. That if you'll just come to Jesus, all your problems will be gone. Just bring your life to the foot of the cross, brother. And all your sufferings. Let me tell you something. We suffer after being a Christian. There's suffering. It's not a popular... It's, if I talked about it, it's not a popular selling point for becoming a Christian. You know? I'd much rather tell you your problems will be over. But the thing about it is your problems just begun. And what Jesus was carrying was the suffering and the exhaustion of being who we are in humanity. He was being the example of dragging that empty cross through the streets. Then he was nailed to the cross, died, and when they took him down off of the cross, once again that cross was empty, standing there bloodstained. But that empty cross began to bring hope. It should have brought hope. It should have brought an expectation that that cross is empty. And if that cross is empty, as a disciple, if that cross is empty, I know that he's going to the tomb. And if he's going to the tomb, then he's going to be resurrected. And in that resurrection, there is victory. But the cross, the empty cross, he's not on it anymore, is the hope of victory the expectation of the victory to come. Even though we suffer, there is a victory to come. I promise you, there's a victory to come. That's three of you that said amen. (laughs) The empty cross is a symbol of the hope of victory. See, some religions immortalize the cross today with Jesus still on it. But Jesus is not on the cross anymore. The cross is empty. The promise is there's hope of victory. The reality is that Jesus was taken down and that cross was made empty again. And that blood-stained cross is the cross that represents the church. Hello? Some of y'all wear it around your neck. Some, some of y'all have it tattooed on your bodies. The, but that cross is empty. And that empty cross represents Christianity. For the last 2,000 years, that empty cross has not represented the cross of the thieves on either side of him. It does not represent the cross that Peter was crucified on. It represents the blood-stained cross that Jesus was crucified on, and there is a hope of victory in that empty cross. It's the promise of the hope of victory. It's an empty cross. You know, I've had people, I've had people come to, to this church 
And they'll call or they'll email or they'll write somehow and say, why don't you have a cross in the middle of your stage? And I know that there's some that haven't come back because of my answer. And I don't have a cross. It's not because I'm anti-cross. Come on now. I'm not (laughs) anti-cross. We said that if we were ever to put a cross in here, we would put it about halfway back down this row because our Christianity, our life, our who we are through Christ does not end at the cross. It continues past the cross. I'm not going to put it back here to bring your troubles to the foot of the cross. I will put it out there. You bring your troubles to the foot of the cross, and then you keep going. The empty cross is about keeping going. It's the hope of the victory that lies ahead. Don't shout me down because I'm preaching real good right now, all right? <laughs> Which brings us to the third empty promise, the empty promise of the tomb. The empty promise of the tomb. Back there in Luke chapter 24, on that Sunday morning, the women that were bringing the essential oils to him saw the stone rolled aside and they went and they poked their head inside and saw that he was gone. And it says that they were stunned and perplexed. One translation I saw said that they were beside themselves. (laughs) What? But when the angels told them, reminded them what Jesus had said, it popped on the inside of them. And they said, we'd be right back. And they ran into town and they told the 11 disciples. And this is what the, how, the, how the 11 responded. This is how Peter responded. Look at verse 11. Luke 24, verse 11 says that when the disciples heard the testimony of the women, it made no sense. And they were unable to believe what they heard. But Peter jumped up and ran the entire distance to the tomb to see for himself. Stooping down, he looked inside and discovered it was empty. There was only a linen sheet lying there Staggered by this, he walked away wondering what it meant. Staggered by this. He could hardly stand because of the thoughts and the doubts and the the things that he didn't understand. It, it, It almost made him pass out. He is staggered. He can hardly stand up. And here, I, I don't give my opinion very often in this place. But here's my opinion in the que- in the form of a question. Has Jesus resurrection story lost its wonder to us? Because G- because Peter stood there looking in and witnessed 
firsthand the revelation that Jesus' tomb was empty, that he had been resurrected, even though he didn't know how to process that, and he was stunned and in wonder. Have we told this story as Christians so much that we've lost the wonder of what the resurrection really means? When was the last time we heard the story of Jesus' resurrection and been so moved by it that we could hardly stand up? Have we ever? I was asking this question to myself and I was like, I don't think that I ever have heard this story and been so moved on the inside that I could hardly stand. It needs to become real to us, y'all. It needs to become real to us. Not in the sense, you know, us being in wonder, not in the sense of how could this be. That's doubt. How, gee, how could anybody be raised from the dead? How could, it's not about the, if, you know, how can this be? <clears throat> but it's about what have I missed in Jesus' words that is not happening in my reality right now? looking into the tomb. What have I missed? Because Jesus had said it six times that he was going to be resurrected, but he didn't get it. When it happened, he was staggered. What is it on the inside of us that we've missed in Jesus' words? What is it? Is it healing that we need? Because healing is in the resurrection. Is it freedom from addiction? Freedom from addiction is in the resurrection. Is it joy that we're lacking, the joy of God that we're lacking, the joy of the power of the Holy Spirit, the joy that he is resurrected? If it's the joy that we're missing, it's in the resurrection. Is it happiness? It's in the resurrection. Is it dreams and promises? It's in the resurrection. That's the promise of the empty tomb. When we realize that the tomb is empty and he's not there, he's resurrected, he's alive forevermore at the right hand of the Father, when we realize that, when we realize that, that's when reality hits. Pastor Greg, this last year, spoke a message, and one of the things he said in that message was that the stone wasn't rolled away for Jesus to get out. It was for us to get in to get into the place where he was resurrected. It's for us to go in. Jesus, from, from that point on, Jesus walked through walls. Jesus just up and disappeared. Gone. That, that stone wasn't rolled away for him to get out. He wasn't out there. Somebody, hey. He left. He was resurrected. And it's for us to see in and understand that the resurrection is where the answer lies. Whatever question you're looking for, that's where the answer lies, is in the resurrection. Which brings us to the fourth one. Oh, I got to hurry. Brings us to the fourth one. The fourth empty promise happened inside that tomb. The fourth empty promise is the empty burial clothes that were left behind. 
there in Luke 24 and verse 12, Peter looked in and saw that that tomb was empty. There was only a linen fabric, a couple of linen fabrics laying there. And I like what the, 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 the story in John, how, how it says that. In John chapter 20, verses 6 and 7, this is from the New Living Translation, it says, Then Peter arrived and went inside, and he also noticed the linen, the linen wrappings that were there, while the cloth that was, had covered Jesus' head was folded up and lying apart from the other wrappings. Jesus took time when he came out of those... You, you remember when, you, you remember when uh, Lazarus was raised from the dead? And Jesus called him out of the tomb. And it says he come out with, with bedclothes, with wrappings on him. He, he come out like this. <laughs> he didn't just come out of his wrappings. Jesus said, loose that man and let him go. Jesus was in the tomb. And when the wrappings were on him, he just, whoop, right out of them. Out. And they all just went, and settled. But there was a wrapping that was on his head that he went over and got that. And he took that wrapping and he folded it and put it there separate from the others. What does that mean? Well, I've heard throughout, the, throughout my time studying on these things, <clears throat> I've heard two stories. One of the stories that I heard was one of the traditions was that when you went to somebody's house and you sat down at the dinner table, they gave you the napkin there, and you would use that napkin to wipe your face and wipe your hands when you got done eating. And if you wadded that napkin up, when you were done and put it in your plate, that means I was treated well here today. But if you take your napkin and you fold it and set it aside, that means I was not treated well while I was in your presence. Jesus was not treated well. Right? That's, to me, that's Jesus thumbing his nose at somebody. Thumbing his nose at this people that crucified him. But you know what? Jesus wasn't that way. Jesus never thumbed his nose at anyone. He loved them. So it takes me to the other story that I heard traditionally in the Jewish culture. And it had to do with servants and masters. That the master's table was there, and when he'd come in to eat, the servant would set a place setting for him and would put a napkin there. The master would sit down and eat, and when he got done eating, while the servant was standing over here waiting on him to get done eating, if the master rose up from the table, wadded his napkin up, and put it in the middle of his plate, it meant, I'm done. And so the servant would come over and clear the table. But if the master got up and folded his napkin and put it on the plate, meant to the servant, I'm coming back. That's what Jesus does. <clears throat> he folded that napkin and he laid it there, that head covering, laid it there beside everything else to let them know, I'm coming back. The empty promise of the burial clothes is that he is coming back. No other religion, I heard this yesterday, my wife shared this with me yesterday. No other religion no other God that people serve has given the promise that I'm coming back. It's always, you're coming to me. But Jesus said, I'm coming back. Jesus is the only one that's coming back for us, not us 
to go toward him. Amen. That's good. So I'm, I'm more leaning to I'm coming back than I was not treated well, even though, the, even though there's truth in that. Those four things, the empty of being God, the empty cross, the empty tomb, and the empty burial clothes are the empty promises of Jesus forevermore. The great Son of God. If I could get the worship team to come on back up, we're going to finish here in just a minute with another song. But here's what I want you to know, is that Jesus lived a life of empty. He lived a life of empty. He continued walking this earth, pouring himself out every chance he got. Poured himself out in miracles. Poured himself out to heal a woman from an issue of blood that she had been dealing with for 12 years. man that was blind. A man that was demon-possessed. Jesus poured himself out continually. He lived a life of empty only to be filling himself back up in God's presence. He didn't just empty and stay empty. He found a way to get away and get with God. But see, this is what I found out, is that for us to be an example for, for him being an example to show us that we can do the same thing. That when we empty ourselves into other people's life as we serve them, when we empty ourselves into their life, it's what they do with it that brings God back into a place where he fills us back up. We need to get alone with him. We need to get in his presence. But the greatest thing you can do is step into his territory and give of yourself. In Jesus' example. Amen. I heard a preacher put it this way. She said, I want to be a coin in the pocket of God for him to spend on people around me. Because when we spend, when he spends us on other people, what how they respond fills his pockets back up with us to be spent again to empty ourselves. He empties his pockets, we empty ours. That's what Jesus did. That's what Jesus came here for. He wasn't he didn't come here to give you a religion. He came here to give you himself. Amen. Amen. So here's what I want to ask you this morning. I want to ask you this. Have you come to him yet? Have you came to him? I've got a tattoo on my arm, and it's written in uh, Latin, so I have no idea how to say it <laughs> eloquently. But it's, it's a conversation piece that I put there, because when I have on short sleeves, somebody can say, well, hey, what does that mean? And I can say, this is what it means. He came to us that we might come to him. If my son is with me, he's got the same tattoo, but in English. So Latin and English... He came to us that we might come to him. See, Jesus came to us. He came to earth. He brought heaven to earth, and he died on the cross. Amen? That's what this season is about. The last two weeks have been, you know, some people call last week Holy Week. Well, the last two weeks have been Holy Week. It's been Holy Week. 
it's because he came and died on a cross. But here's the deal. You can look him in the eye as he is beat, swollen, bloody, suffering on that cross. He'll still crack his eyes open and look at you and say, I'm doing this for you. If there was nobody else on this earth, I still would have done this for you. But this is the picture that I want you to see today is that he went into that tomb and he come out of that tomb and he's standing here before you. The only obvious thing that is shown in his body that he died on that cross is the nail scars in his hands and in his feet and the piercing in his side. That's the only thing. Other than that, he's perfect. And he's locking eyes with you today and he's saying what he said to every one of his disciples, would you come and follow me? See, this time of a service, some people, some preachers say, you know, this time of the service is the invitation. Will you give your heart to God? I, I, that's cool. But really, the reality of that is Jesus is saying, I'm giving my heart to you. Would you come in to me? Would you come to me? Would you come to me? Follow me. If that's you today and you've never followed him, right now is the perfect time to say, I will follow you. I don't know what that looks like. And he's already said there's going to be suffering. There's already, you know, I don't know what that looks like. And I'm kind of shaky about this. But here's the deal. I'm going to give this a shot, Jesus. I'm going to lock eyes with you and I'm going to give it a shot. And I'm saying yes to you today. If that's you today, you have just stepped into a totally new kingdom. Saying yes puts you into a new kingdom. It gives you a new address. It gives you a new place to end up after this life. But Jesus is coming back. Amen. Say yes to him today. If you said yes to him one time and you're not living it and you know it, say yes to him again today. He's not going to make you run down the laundry list of what you've done. He just wipes it away. He washes it away and gives you life when you say yes. Would you say yes to him today? If you would stand up on your feet. Saying yes to him is about coming out of your grave. It's about coming out of your grave. So I'm asking you, rise up, get out of your grave, and sing this song. Amen.
Just give him a shout. 